CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Whether you're sitting in a two-hour rain delay or sitting in bright sunlight enjoying the second day of July or whenever you're listening to us, this is the Canadian Football Countdown. I am Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, back together again this week talking CFL football, Canada Day uh, weekend football lots of entertainment from around the cfl uh some very entertaining games here uh over the weekend that we're going to get into talking about all of that and more to do so i'm here with michael garrell as usual mike how are you doing this evening i'm great i'm great uh but not as good as you the last couple weeks why is that um I'm hearing rumors and some rumors that have been swirling around that you are no longer a life lifetime free agent or courting the market for a team, so to say. Which means? Which means that you, my friend, uh, recently got engaged. Yes, I did. I. She said yes. She said yes. Huh. I think you just came up with an episode title. <laughs> um, nonetheless, uh, congratulations to you guys. Well, thank you very much, Mike. And uh, I wish you guys a lifetime of happiness together. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we're very excited. Uh, Mike agreed to be one of my groomsmen for the upcoming wedding. so uh, I, I don't have a sound effect for that. It will be a uh, Canadian football countdown affair. I guess you could say that, and uh, to some extent. For those that are wondering, it did not change the fact, or at least to my knowledge, of the future of this show. So no. before you start thinking, oh, this is the end, it's actually just the beginning. And you know, I don't, I don't know if I told you this, Ryan, but when we started this show, and I think it's appropriate to bring it up now. Sure. We started when? Four years ago? Six? Uh, six years ago under a different name. But four years ago or so under this name? Actually, only two. Okay. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> you see how my internal plot works? It, it's very, uh, I don't know. When, when, when you're in radio, and I, and I don't mean to make light of this, the days kind of seem to run into each other and you don't really remember what day it is. So that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. But nonetheless, I I could not have imagined that we would be on the air as long as we have. And was doing some math with you. When was it? Last week or the week before? Our hundredth episode of the Today Football Countdown scheduled for later this year. Yeah, so and that doesn't even include all the ones under the old name. So, so. It's kind of how interesting how life comes full circle. Absolutely, couldn't have put it better myself. And uh, anyway, congratulations. Thank we you. will uh, have an interesting uh, time on this podcast. 
now and in the future. Absolutely. Great way to put it, Mike. Shall we get into talking about some of the football from this week? Uh, if I don't get rained on, I'll have to sit and wait for two hours. All right. Sounds good. Before we do that, though, we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, check out all the other great CF Pod Network shows at CF Pod Network on Twitter and cfpodnetwork.ca. And we are uh, pleased to be joined a bit later in this episode of the podcast by a fellow member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, we will be joined by Janine from Mouchoir, a Red Blacks podcast, to talk a little bit about the Red Blacks and their matchup with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So look forward to that uh, a little bit later on in the show. But first, we will uh, talk about some of the most interesting storylines from this past week around the CFL, Mike. A week uh, that had... That kicked off with the Bombers and the Eskimos, a game people thought would be rained out, perhaps, given the history, and then ended with a game between the Riders and the Argos that did get rained out. Can we just discuss this right now? But I think in no disrespect to the people at TSN, but the panel should be banned from attending any CFL game in the summertime. Just because of the weather? Yeah, but they were there last night, and naturally there was a weather delay. How did you feel about uh, Milt Stiegel putting on the Riders jersey in the uh, well, in the spare time? Doesn't make me look very happy, Milt. And Milton, if you're listening, I know you were probably pressured into doing it. I just want you to know that I forgive you. You know he's serious because he used the full name Milton. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, Mike, what do you want to talk about first here from week three in the CFL? Pick the first storyline we talk about here. Blinton, you miss him. Lucky Whitehead. Okay. There is no faster guy in the CFL. Maybe Brandon Banks. But goodness gracious, does that guy have some speed to burn? Yeah, Lucky Whitehead, I mean, carried the Bombers' offense as they beat the Eskimos 28-21 this week. Two touchdowns, seven catches, 155 yards. I crunched the stats on this right after the game this week based on how productive the Bombers' offense was against the Eskimos. Um, Lucky Whitehead had seven catches for 155 yards. Uh, The rest of the Bombers' offense combined for six catches for 45. Uh, Keep in mind that Whitehead did have two long touchdown catches. Besides those two catches, the rest of the offense actually only had 84 yards passing the rest of the game, which is just bleh, gross. Whitehead saved the day. You may even say the Bombers got lucky. Well, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, lucky Whitehead saving the day. Let's, let's discuss the defense saving the day for the most part. Yeah, for sure, and we'll get into that. Uh, just, uh, you know, you, met, you bring up Lucky Whitehead is the first thing, and I have to say, you mentioned his speed. I have never seen a touchdown quite like, I think it was his second one. The first one was the long pass, 70-something yards, beats out his one defender, goes to the end zone. The second one is a short yard, a short pass from Matt Nichols, Lucky Whitehead, where he just turns on the Jets and goes 41 yards to the end zone. I have not seen a burst of speed, something like that, in quite some time. Is this the big piece the Bombers... Everybody thought Chris Matthews would be the big piece the Bombers were missing on offense. Is it, in fact, like Lucky Whitehead? Well, I'll say this. Both guys uh, bring completely different skill sets. Um, 
you know, I think he needed Leibovitz and break the, break the game. I also think he needed a quarterback with, I mean a quarterback, sorry. A wide receiver with some size and some skill to bring down footballs in those tougher games. But hey, I mean, yeah, every team needs to dive when he's wide open in space and just zip. And mystery died miss, and that's the, you know, <laughs> and the weird part is, Ryan, I don't even think that, uh, Lucky Whitehead was at full speed until we got past everybody. It was kind of like a one move, two move, speed walking, and then turbo mode. Like, <laughs> just, very, very unique, and to see that I want to take the fact that I'm a Bomber fan out of this, but he made, I don't remember if it was the first or second touchdown, he made five Edmonton defenders trying to chase him. That was the look, second one, yeah. Looked very, very bad. Right. And Edmonton defense is pretty dead. It must have been something to watch in person, never mind on TV, just to hear, to hear the buzz and the sound while that play is going on. Oh, it was incredible watching Whitehead play. And, and, and the thing is, you meant, like, we talk about those two very nice touchdown passes, and I think that's what we all expected him to do when he was brought into this Bombers offense. Like, week one, everybody was expecting a long bomb to Lucky Whitehead because of his speed. But he also had five other catches in this game, which were, you know, short passes, you know, pick up the first down type of catches. He's not just, it's not just, okay, let's try to throw the ball 80 yards downfield and, uh, well, he's going to outrun everybody. He has other skill sets he brings to the offense. Right now, he doesn't seem to be returning kicks. They have Charles Nelson doing it, I presume, so that they can uh, save his energy a little bit for those long runs on offense. And Nelson, to his credit, hasn't done terrible. I just think he subscribes to the Nick Grigsby school of running east to west instead of north-south like you should. Um, <laughs> I, you know, maybe maybe you put Whitehead in at kicker turn there, but uh, certainly carry the Bombers offense. Credit to the Eskimos defense who uh, gave Mike Riley nightmares the week before. They shut down Andrew Harris. They shut down everything else for the Bombers bombers offense besides whitehead but edmonton i mean i put this out on twitter this week and i think it's still reign supreme at the end of this week there are three things guaranteed in life death taxes and the eskimos taking stupid and costly penalties my goodness i have to wonder ryan and i don't want to to sound brash in any way I have to wonder how long of a leash Jason Moss has. I mean, they're 2-1 and one to start the season. They're 2-1 to start the season, but who'd they beat? Montreal, BC. Where are those teams right now? Winless. They, To be fair, they almost beat the Bombers. Like, for but, all intents but and the, purposes, they should have beaten the Bombers. But the penalties weren't just a byproduct of this week. No. Last, last year, two years ago, there were penalties. I don't know why, but Jason Moss, I'll say this. You could make a case for firing Jason Moss, never mind on the penalties, but decision-making. Kicking a field goal on first down. We, 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 
we talk about it all the time, right? Of it being a possibility, you know, down by 10, you should tip the field goal and then, you know, hopefully get the ball back. But come on, on first down, your offense maybe having the drive of the game. You have the best quarterback in the league, the top four quarterback. I, yes, I finally put Trevor Harris in the upper echelon. But what does that say to your offense? We don't trust you to score a touchdown? But yet, Mike, if I pull up my text receipts here, you're the one telling me Thursday night during this game that you agreed with Jason Ma's decision. Well, I've kind of come around on the stupidity of it. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because everybody else didn't exactly agree with me. But on the flip side, I see where he's coming from, too. They hadn't scored a touchdown all night. They had six or seven field goals or five field goals. Seven field goals. Sean okay. White sets franchise record for uh, most points by a kicker in a game. And, and you know what? It was almost a decision, to be honest, but you've paid off. At the end right. of the day, Edmonton dropped a bunch of footballs. Yeah, at the end of the day, this this, this loss for Edmonton does not come down to Jason Moss deciding to kick a field goal on first down. It comes down to the fact that Jason Moss had to decide to kick a field goal seven times because his offense couldn't put the ball in the end zone. Like, I hyped up the Eskimos' offense so much from the first two weeks. Trevor Harris, 700 yards passing, eight touchdowns, uh, six through the air, two on the ground. Gable, 260-something yards uh, from scrimmage and a touchdown. Like, this offense was running on all cylinders, and to their credit, put up the yards, put up the time of possession. They had the ball for more than a quarter, more than the Bombers in this game. Like, the time of possession was like 36 minutes to 23, so I guess not quite a quarter. Well, here's the thing, though. You you look at one thing in the football game, and that was average starting position. Yes, the Bombers gave up almost 400 yards. But look at where Edmonton started with the ball. Bombers had two drives that were, you know, one quick play and one long play, and you're in the end zone in 15 seconds. It's a dynamic of the defense for the Bombers bent but didn't break. And remember, they also... uh Got that stop on third down early in the game two, maybe second quarter, somewhere in there. Early third quarter where they got that third down stop. I mean, the Esks did go third and one from shotgun, which... It doesn't matter. I mean... Why? They they stopped them, and it's just part of the decision-making of... And I think every coach is guilty of this. They overcoach. They overfaint themselves. They make it a lot difficult than it needs to be. I mean, just looking us in a general sense in CFL fantasy, where you're adjusting your roster every week. You know, you put it in, you put it out on Monday. Come Thursday, you have a different opinion on the guy. Right. So you make the last minute change. Like it's it's no different. People in, in all walks of life, in all schools of life, overthink themselves, and sometimes in the moment, a lot of people tend to overthink themselves. Yeah, you know, just to wrap this game up, like, this was a game between two teams that were undefeated to start the year. I was expecting a great matchup, and I left the stadium just feeling gross about this football game. Like, it was like, okay, we'll take the win, but this game was ugly, and I think I summed it up perfectly here in 240 characters or less on Twitter, uh... What an ugly game. Lack of production, stupid penalties, questionable decisions, terrible mistakes, really from both sides. Like, 
I, I could list, we could spend the next 10 minutes listing off all the different mistakes made between these two teams, whether it was play calling, stupid penalties that were taken that extended or shortened drives, um, fumbles, uh, turnovers, you know, Andrew Harris uncharacteristically fumbling twice, including late in the game, giving Edmonton another chance, which they couldn't convert on. Like, in the end, lots of mistakes were made. The Bombers just made one less and are lucky to come, and are lucky, Whitehead, to come out of this one 2-0 and and on to the next one. Final thought for me, I don't think it's as bad as people are making it out to be, because I really think these are the two best teams in the West right now. I would agree. And one team made less mistakes, just like you said, and comes up with a big win. Let's talk about a game here that had a wild finish to it. Uh, I did not see any I of this game. I watched it today. So. so you will have to carry the conversation on this one. But Calgary almost falls to 0-2 to start the season. But some crazy comeback at the end of the game pulls it off, as we would expect Calgary to do, of course. Like, of course. They beat BC. What you didn't expect is that the comeback will be led by Nick Arbuckle. Yeah, yeah, no kidding, right? Um, to me, I I don't want to disrespect Calgary's comeback, but in my mind, it should not have happened. Mike Riley should have put this game away early in the game. They had the halftime where it was twenty-one to ten or whatever it was at halftime. 22-10, yeah. 22-10 at halftime. It should have been 28 or 29-10. to 10. They turned the ball over on the one-yard line on the final play of the half. Riley doesn't get an end zone because Calgary uh, just did push. Um, and, and just penalties, extending drives, uh, giving Arbuckle a chance uh, to extend plays and... Eric Rogers, if he doesn't have a dead game, I mean, he catches two or three touchdowns. I think it was three. Third one was the go-ahead one. Um, to me, I, I, I'm just left wondering, like, Calgary's offense was okay with Bolivar Mitchell at, at the controls, but there was just another level, another shot in the arm of a team from Nick Arbuckle, and... I'll, I'll, I'll stop and say this right now. I'm not suggesting that there's a quarterback controversy. There is none, barring injury. But it's just interesting how difficult Calgary had it with moving the ball. And, you know, they tried a bunch of screen passes and hitch passes and all that kind of stuff. To Don Johnson was very, very little success with Mitchell in the game. All of a sudden, BC went into that kind of not mad while they tried to take away the receivers and Nick Arbuckle just kind of methodically moved the team down the field. And that was the, you know, the touchdown. And we saw a play on the onside kick where I don't know if we see this or why we don't see this play even more. Uh, it was kicked straight in the air. And the BC guy who wound up recovering it, swatted it further down the field so that he could get I love it. it. That's amazing. And he just went underneath, grabbed it. And the interesting thing was he didn't pick it up cleanly. How did he pick it up cleanly? He had another 20 to 25, maybe 30 yards where he could have just run further down the field. But 
a new way perhaps to get some offense on the onside kick, and it's something we're going to have to watch. But tell you what, that onside kick was perfect. Uh, the play calling was perfect. To be down as many points as they were, 12. What the final final score? 32 to 32? Yeah. So it's 12 point game, I think. 32 21. 11 point game. Um, I can't do math today. Sorry, math is not my strong suit. But never was, never will be. But a lot had to go right. I, I compare it to the bomber combat against Montreal at Investors Group um, two years ago now. Yeah, I didn't see this game, but when you texted me and told me about it at the very end, that's the immediately the first thing I was thinking of. And you know, frankly, every time a CFL game gets down to less than two minutes left and it's an 11-point game, it's a 13-point game, I don't even count the losing team out because of situations like this. And I will give Nick Arbuckle credit. Over the last couple of years, I have not given him credit, mainly because we haven't seen very much playing time from him. I have been of the opinion, you know, Calgary is really good with Bo Levi Mitchell, but what happens if Bo goes down? I didn't think Arbuckle was the guy who could, you know, carry the team in his absence. I liked what I saw from him in preseason this year, and I really liked what he did here in this game, pulling off that incredible comeback at the end of the game. Went 9-for-9 nine nine passing. 93 yards and the game-winning touchdown there to Eric Rogers. So Calgary pulls out the win and goes to one and one. Uh, BC falls to zero and three here, Mike. Uh, an zero and three start to the season, and yet I actually feel pretty good about the Lions after this game. I feel a lot better than I have of late, but to me, this is the game if you're BC, but you're going to be looking back on, particularly if you're in the fight for home field, which. You know, everybody is in the fight in the West right now for home field, uh, for sure. But, again, it's Calgary is not as good as they are in the past. But Calgary finds a way to get it done. Mike, you'll never guess what happened this week. Uh-oh. BC ran the ball. Well. And they ran it well, and their offense flourished. Newsflash. Or not so newsflash, because the running game to me disappeared in the first two weeks. Who knew that running the ball would help your team out? It's a miracle! Well, it's, it would appear to be common sense. But let's be frank. John White, you have to give your running back a reason to keep giving him the ball. And he did in this game. And that's what he did. Absolutely. And Mike Riley had himself a good, great day, 36 Because he got help from the running back, and it takes the pressure off the quarterback. And let's be frank, this offensive line was a whole heck of a lot better. I don't even know how the heck they adjusted it. But we saw a quarterback's best friend. Hitch passes, screen passes. Yeah, John White had nine catches for 87 help yards your and a touchdown. freaking quarterback out, and this is what you get. So 0-3 for BC, but definitely much improved. Granted, negative still for me. Last week, they started strong against Edmonton. Well, had Edmonton back in that game. This week, they, they started strong against Calgary. They should have won this game against Calgary. They should be 2-1. and one. 
in a West division that's pretty tight. And look now here, Saskatchewan, and we're going to get into them right away. Saskatchewan's perhaps starting to come on a little bit. Uh, they may have figured out their quarterback situation. You can't afford to be losing these West Division matchups if you're BC, but I will remind everybody of this before, with one last word before we move on to the next game. And I guess this is technically multiple words, but one single number. 2011. The BC Lions started 0-6 in 2011 and went on to win the Cup. This team is starting to gel here with this game. The offense is going to get on a roll. Riley played well. They used a running game. I'm expecting a bounce back week from BC, or a bounce back week and period going forward here from the Lions. Um, let's talk about that Saskatchewan Toronto game. Uh, I didn't see this one either. I do apologize. It has been a busy weekend for me. Well, I understand, but did you have some big event coming up in the next year? So, <laughs> what's to do? What's to I, do? I, I, I mean, one to be excused for your busyness. Um. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. I hope the listeners forgive me as well. They will. Um, Saskatchewan gets their first win of the season, 32-7 to over Toronto. I think we both know what the moral of the story in this game is. Mike? What is it? Ryan, stop picking Toronto for Pete's sake. I took the Argos and pick them again, and they let me down. So you'd be number one in Canada, but Vance Detroit chairman and the Toronto are not do not. Yeah, all their fault, not my own stupidity. No, no. I, I'll tell you this. We're going to get into pick them later in the show. I'm taking BC over Toronto. I, I'm just telling you right now. And then and then watch BC lose to Toronto. Yeah, or watch me change my mind the day of and change the pick. But no, And then, and then watch Toronto get killed again. Probably. I mean, how do you draw positives here for the Argos? Are there positives to draw? Because through two games this season, they've now been outscored 96-21, if my quick math is correct here. Not ideal. Well, the MOP for the Toronto Argonauts season should be that weather delay yesterday. But then that's somewhat stopped the bleeding because I, I shudder to think what would have happened. If that weather delay would not have happened because Toronto did not look good, and Saskatchewan was piling it on. What is it that's going so wrong for Toronto? Is it the defense? Is it the offense? Looking at the numbers here, the offense didn't look like it did terribly. You know, they did get James Wilder running but, better. But it's one thing, Ryan, when the game is well out of hand, at the weather delay it was like 28-2. to two? 20 to 7? No, 20. I don't even remember what it 26 was. 26 7, I think. 26 7 at the weather delay. So you're sitting there for two and a half hours, or two hours. You, you, your body cools off. So Statsman's probably thinking, we're going we to get through this because we got a game on Saturday at home, and it's Monday. And we're going to be here a whole heck of a lot longer than we want to be. But then in the Toronto, a lot of the yards passing were when the game was lopsided. Um, James Wright went through an ill-advised interception, which tilted the game yesterday. I believe it was 7 nothing for Saskatchewan, and Toronto was driving uh, inside the Saskatchewan 30-yard line, and he threw two interceptions when Toronto was driving for touchdowns, uh, one of which to Nick Marshall. So 
offense isn't getting a lot of help. They have to point fingers at the defense for not helping them out. Special teams leaves a lot to be desired based on they signed a new kicker recently. Um, but to me, the blame in Toronto is just everybody all the way around. If your if your defense is on the field for three quarters of the game, your offense isn't getting on the field to score points. You know, your offense, and we saw this with the Bombers for years. How often did the Bombers go three and out and give the ball right back to their defense, and at the end of the game, the time of possession was so staggered? We interrupt your talk about the Argos, Mike, to bring you this important public service announcement from the province of Saskatchewan. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have a quarterback. I repeat, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders may just have themselves a starting quarterback. Can we hold that thought until we get to our interview? Because we're running a little bit behind. Sure. I want. I have some thoughts on Fajardo. Fajardo? Hence the name. It's not Fajardo. It's Fajardo. Okay? That's the actual pronunciation. The J is silent. I heard this from the Rider Radio broadcast. Okay. It's Fajardo. <laughs> Let's get it right going forward. But there's your... No, there's your... Name lesson for the day. I have some thoughts on Gainer. When here's the other thing: when the top of your team is the mascot, your last game must have gone very, very well. Yeah, that's all for now. All right, yeah. So we'll get straight into it. We'll come back, talk a bit more about some of the stuff from week three, and get into talking about week four. But first. I did have the pleasure uh, just a bit ago to uh, speak with Janine from the Mouchoir, a Red Blacks podcast, a fellow member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network, talking everything Bombers and Red Blacks uh, coming into week four. So uh, we'll get that set up here now. And here is my interview with Janine from Mouchoir, a Red Blacks podcast. And now I'm pleased to be joined here on the Canadian Football Countdown by one of our fellow members of the Canadian Football Podcast Network to talk everything Red Blacks versus Bombers in week four. I'm pleased to be joined by Janine from Mouchoir, a Red Blacks podcast. Good evening, Janine. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me tonight. Oh, thanks for joining me. It's our pleasure. Um, so you do cover the Ottawa Red Blacks, which makes it convenient that we're talking this week as they do face the Bombers in a matchup between two 2-0 two teams going head-to-head this week. But before we get into the game, I think I have one very important question that I'm sure I'm not the only one wondering. What is, okay. a mouch- what is a mouchoir? <laughs> yeah, I do get that question a lot. So mouchoir, so funny little story. When the Red Blacks came to town, uh, Ottawa being a bilingual city, the calls are made in English and French on the field. So our in-field, our in-game announcer calls the games bilingually. And I used to have season tickets to uh, the Montreal Alouettes. They also call the games um they also call the games bilingually. And so when there would be a flag on the play in Montreal, they say flag on the play, infraction sur le jeu. But in Ottawa, so that's what I was expecting in Ottawa. But the first Red Blacks game we ever went to, we heard flag on the play, mouchoir sur le terrain. And mouchoir literally means tissue or Kleenex. <laughs> and the entire stadium erupted in laughter, like mouchoir. Why are they? <laughs> and it's just, 
become the most Ottawa Red Blacks thing. And so when Michaela and I were coming up with a title, we just, there was no choice but to call it Mouchoir because every Red Blacks fan knows exactly why that is so funny and what it means. And it's just become the big, the big cultural thing with being a Red Blacks fan. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm glad we cleared that up. Uh, I had no <laughs> idea that's what that meant. So now, now I feel like I have a greater appreciation for everything Ottawa. Um, there you go, and this is the price of living in a bilingual city too, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, fair enough. Uh, let's get into talking about the team. Uh, they were on a bye week this past week, so no game to break down there. But uh, looking into the matchup with the Bombers, we kind of like to view a matchup from the different sides of the ball on the football field, offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, safe to say most of the talk around uh, concerning the Red Blacks this season has been about the offense because they did lose most of the major pieces in the offseason. And yet I think they've fared fairly well so far through two games. How would you evaluate the play of Ottawa's offense and in particular uh, new starting quarterback Dom Davis? Uh, I think I would summarize how I feel about it by saying pleasantly surprised, uh, but still a little bit cautiously optimistic. Um, for sure, they were the number one through five questions that most Red Blacks fans had about this season is how are we going to recover from what happened uh, on offense in the off season? And it's not because, uh, you know, people like me and Michaela who talk about football, it's not because we question the talent of some of the guys that were remaining and some of the guys that were brought in on offense, but it's more because as a unit, that offense really gelled over the last five years. And when big pieces of that, puzzle go missing are they going to gel as much and then of course let's not forget that we lost our offensive coordinator on April 1st uh, which is a big huge loss right before a season so I think everybody was really uh, really questioning how this offense was going to look and what its identity was going to be um, and I think we're all very pleasantly surprised by what we've seen. Dom Davis didn't have a great first game, but he persevered and stuck with it and ended up getting the win. And then he moved in, rolled into the second game and played lights out against Saskatchewan. So uh, same thing with some of the receivers, Dominic Rhymes had a really, you know, not at all a very good first game, but then he racked up 150 plus yards in the game against Saskatchewan. So we're seeing, we're starting to see relationships form. We're starting to see them come together, starting to get a better feel for who Dom Davis's favorites are and, and what his chemistry is with his offense. And I think we're really, we're really happy with what we see. We just want to see it remain consistent at this point. Yeah, and you mentioned that not great game again, perhaps against Calgary for Dom Davis. Frankly, if you beat Calgary, you'll take it any way you can get, right? Ugly or pretty, <laughs> I don't care. Beat Calgary. That's any anybody but Calgary, right? ABC. Ab absolutely. <laughs> uh, we can attest to that as well. Um, you know, despite even being 2-0 and at this point, I think still a lot of people discount the Red Blacks and that offense and have them as an underdog. Is that kind of a position throughout, what is this now, year six for the franchise that the team has just been perpetually in, is seen as an underdog? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. And I quite frankly don't know what this team needs to do to get people to stop looking at it as an underdog. Um, and even just listening to how people talk about Trevor Harris now that he's in Edmonton versus how they talked about him when yeah. he was a red black, frankly, drives me absolutely crazy. Like, absolutely crazy. Um, and we used to say last year, like, my, 
when Mike Riley would have a bad game with Edmonton, nobody questioned his talent. But if Trevor Harris had one bad game, everybody talked about how he wasn't a good quarterback. So the Red Blacks have this, and I don't know if it's because the rest of the league just can't accept that a six-year-old team has had the kind of success that it's had when there's, you know, vaulted franchises that have been around forever that haven't had this kind of success. <laughs> 1990. Every, everybody seems to not like the Red Blacks as a legit team. Yeah, yeah, and you you hit the nail on the head that, you know, maybe there is a bit of a sore spot, you know. Here in Winnipeg, we haven't won a championship since 1990. I've never seen a championship okay. in my lifetime. Uh, maybe one day, perhaps. Um, <laughs> we can only hope. And, and yeah, Ottawa, to their credit, within six years, has been to the finals, what, three times now? And uh, uh, Yeah, they've been... Uh... They've been one, two, three times to the Grey Cup in in four in four years. So five years as a franchise, but in four straight years, they went to the Grey Cup championship three times. So it's safe to say, you know, no matter how much changes, definitely don't count out uh, the coaching staff and the GM there, Marcel Desjardins and Rick Campbell. No, I mean, Marcel Desjardins is a, is a genius. And, you know, I'm the first to admit that I really questioned some of what he did in the off season, uh, But when I saw... You know that the salary cap didn't actually go up beyond the 50k, and when I saw um, when I saw how much confidence the coaching staff had in Dominic Davis and how easy it was for them to make that choice, it just it seems to me that the man knows what he's doing, and we should all stop doubting him. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. Um, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. Uh, what do you make of how they've played through two games? They managed to shut down the Stampeders pretty well. Struggled a bit against the Riders and Cody Fajardo's uh, first start there. Uh, do you have any sort of a sense of what we can expect from them over the course of the season? Yeah, well, it's I mean, it's a Noel Thorpe defense. So um, you can expect that it that it is a competitive defense. And, and I said earlier on, uh, I think it might have been when I was talking to Rouge Radio, uh, I said early on that I actually thought it would be the defense that might that would carry us uh forward successfully this season I think the Ottawa defense is really underestimated and under um, appreciated in the league because they have Noel Thorpe as a defensive coordinator is a genius we all know that again when he was with Montreal no one questioned that it was a genius a genius defense but now that he's with Ottawa like people just don't give this defense the credit they deserve it's where we stayed pretty whole in the offseason so the team the unit is back together they had an incredible first game against Calgary um I was not expecting 41 points to be put up against them by Saskatchewan, but I think part of that was you alluded to it, Ryan. Cody Fajardo's a new QB, not a lot of tape on him. I think we expected more of a ground game than a passing game, and that's certainly not what we got from him. So I think Saskatchewan succeeded in catching us off guard, but I don't think that's going to be the way that we play throughout the season. I think this defense is going to have an awful lot of success. And what I like about the defense is – Yes, you can point to stellar plays at stellar times by people like Jonathan Rose, but they play as a unit. And there's no one player that uh, week after week after week is the star of that defense. They all come to work. They all work hard. And you see it in the stats, like the number of tackles, the number of forced fumbles. They're really evenly distributed across this defense. So I really like these guys, um, and I think that they're going to just continue to go up this season. Well, you kind of answered my next question there already about uh, who's kind of the leader on the defense is there. But, yeah, I agree with you. You know, looking at this Ottawa defense, 
I can't really pick one guy or another that stands out as the mainstay as you might with, say, a Winnipeg defense with a guy like Adam Big Hill, who is the major piece there. Uh, looking, mm-hmm, exactly. Looking at the special teams uh, situation there, Lewis Ward seems to be picking up right where he did la- left off last year, uh, making field goal after field goal. Uh, the Red Blacks are without all-star return man Deontay Spencer this season, who, uh, well, the rest of the CFL might be a little happy about that one because, boy, did he torch uh, both the Bombers and other teams around the league quite often. But uh, yeah. who in your eyes has stepped up on special teams so far? Well, former Bomber uh, Ryan Langford has um, has been having some, some pretty good success. So I know Troy Studemeyer was, we tried him at, uh, at return, but that wasn't working out so good. So I think, you know, I think we've had some success with special teams returns. Uh, and it took a while for Ottawa to have some success on returns. So, um, like, a, a, it took a few seasons before we started to see actually something happen in this, in this area. So special teams is, um, is a place where I think we've always been a little bit, uh, we were weak in the early days, then we found our stride, I would say, around season three, and it's and we've been really lucky to have some pretty great players um, play on our special teams ever since then. Now, I mentioned before a uh, matchup with the Bombers this week. Both teams going into this 2-0, and so one team will end with a loss this week unless, week unless Ottawa gets another tie like they seem to almost every year. <laughs> um, but, hey, this isn't a game against Calgary. Uh Starting off from the Ottawa side of things, what do you think is the keys of the game here uh, to come out with a win? Uh, well, Andrew Harris, of course, is always is always um, a huge weapon for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So containing Andrew Harris, uh, and that is something we've had success with in the past, uh, containing Andrew Harris is absolutely going to be key. Um, I think it will be really interesting to see if if our offense can kind of do to the Winnipeg defense, which is an absolute powerhouse in the league as well, if we'll be able to do the same sort of thing that Cody Fajardo was did to us last last week. And what I mean by that is, yeah, there's a bit of tape on Dom Davis, but he is still a relatively unknown entity in the league. So are we going to be able to, I know he used to play for the Bombers, so maybe that, maybe that negates that whole statement, yeah. but... Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the Bombers defense plans for Dom Davis. Um, so I think that'll be kind of interesting to see. The The other thing that I'm really, um, I've never hit it, and I've talked a little bit about it on my podcast, and I feel like it's okay for me to do this because before the Red Blacks came to town, I'm from Winnipeg, so I was I grew up a Bomber fan. So I feel it's okay for me to criticize every now and then the Bombers. While I love Mike O'Shea and I love the coaching staff, I've never been a big fan of Pat Nichols, I know he's having success, and that's great. But I do think he's the kind of quarterback that is um, on the low. I don't want to say mediocre because that's a mean word, <laughs> but he's not—he's not stellar. And if you get under his skin early, you can throw him off his game. Uh, and we were able to do that last season against Winnipeg. Uh, and I think if we can do that again in this game, we're going to have a very good chance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so on that note, uh, who do you see uh, taking the win in this game? It's it's such a hard like I really am having a hard time predicting this one. Um, and the Red Blacks historically never do well coming 
off of a bye week. So that's also a bit of a scary factor um, for me personally <laughs> to think about whether they're going to shake that bye week curse thing that they've had going. Uh, but, you know, they're going to have the home crowd behind them. It's going to be a beautiful night on Friday night. Um, I think that uh, our defense is going to stand up uh, and do quite well against Matt Nichols' offense, although lucky Whitehead is freaking me out a little bit. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind saying that, um, but I think we're going. I think we stand a good chance, and it'll be a, it'll be a tough game. I think it could be a bit of a defensive battle, so I'm expecting a low score. But I'm going to give the very tiny edge to Ottawa. Ah, every time I expect a low score this season, there ends up being what 85 points at halftime. I know. Or... <laughs> I know. I expected. I did not expect 44-41 against the Rough Riders. That's for darn sure. <laughs> <laughs> you and a lot of people, myself included. <laughs> Um, well, Janine, thank you for taking the time to uh, chat a little Bombers and Red Blacks here with me. Uh, before we let you go, uh, plug the pod a little bit. Let, us, let everyone know where they can find your work and uh, find you on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and the name of our podcast is Mouchoir, a Red Blacks podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at Mouchoir Podcast. My co-host, Michaela, is at Shrides, S-C-H-R-E-I-D-S. Uh, 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 and I'm at Oddwood J, that's J-A-Y. So give us a follow. Uh, chat football with us we uh we love we love to uh to engage with listeners from across the country and across the various podcast uh network listenerships so please give us a give us a follow wonderful and uh when usually does the show come out each week well you know michaela and i have tried to consistently pick one day where we would record and we have not successfully <laughs> met that day because of our very busy lives but generally speaking we come out either tuesday or wednesdays because of the long weekend this week we're coming out tomorrow uh we're coming we're recording right now on tuesday we're coming out on wednesday all right sounds good so check out for all of that i know i sure will thanks again for joining us here janine and uh well best of luck i guess next week uh not this week uh for the red blacks and <laughs> Well, they face each other again two weeks from now. So uh, friends again in three weeks, as they say, or? As they say, and you know, I it, I have been known to get on a plane and go see the Red Blacks in Winnipeg and visit some family while I'm out there. So who knows? Maybe uh, I haven't quite sorted out my vacation schedule yet, but that's a possibility. All right. Well, if you're in town, perhaps we'll see you at the stadium then. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Ryan. And that was Janine from the Mouchoir Red Blacks podcast of the Canadian Football Podcast Network joining us here on the Canadian Football Countdown. Thank you so much to Janine. That was a really fun conversation uh, teeing up the game this week between Ottawa and Winnipeg. To celebrate a momentous occasion for you, Ryan, this show is going a little overtime, so we can have a party a little bit longer. Sure, yeah. Um, we have a lot to talk about still. Normally we'd be done this podcast in about 12 minutes, but I don't think I can feasibly talk at a fast enough pace that would uh, cover everything we wanted to talk about. So we will extend this an extra half hour, an hour and a half long, long podcast here today. You get to hear from us on everything. You got to hear from Janine uh, about the Red Blacks there, which is convenient since, well, they didn't play this week, so we didn't really have much else to talk about with Ottawa. 
So uh, let's get back to wrapping up these week three games, and then uh, we'll get into talking uh, about our pick'em and CFL fantasy and all that fun stuff going into week four and uh, in kind of the last half hour there. You said beforehand you had a couple things you wanted to talk about with the riders, so uh, let's let it loose, Mike. You are up on the podium. Uh, what do you want to talk about? The starting franchise quarterback for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is Cody Fajardo. What kind of accent was that? I don't know. But I would like to announce that Cody Fajardo will be the starting quarterback for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for the foreseeable future. We think. But what has happened to Stephen McAdoo? Where did this offense come from? We're seeing 98-yard strikes. We're seeing passing down the field. We're seeing some running. A lot of people in Regina are suggesting that William Powell has brought some attention to this offense and some respect, and I agree with that. Which we thought that he would. And I don't mean respect is in like big household name and now let's kind of take this seriously. But what I mean is he requires some success. Um, he requires some success uh, and some respect is in like commanding attention in game planning uh, on the field in the huddle. Uh, that kind of scenario um so it's just interesting that way but all the matadu people that wanted them fired i wonder if they went to the late for the long weekend because they were non-existent yesterday and the week before and maybe the writers are to be taken seriously maybe and maybe they have and it's kind of scary if they do have this offensive kick going now because we said preseason, Riders' defense last season and presumably this season, going to be really good. Special teams they're covered on with Kyron Moore, uh, with Brett Water. And Christian Jones. Christian Jones, right. Um, yeah, Moore filled in when Jones was out last year. That's why he was the first one that came to mind. But yes, Christian Jones. But we had so many concerns about the offense coming into this year. Now that they've picked it up a little bit, they... Probably should have beaten Ottawa last week when they put up 41 points. They pick up the win this week. Granted, it's against Toronto, which might be the 2019 free space on the bingo card. Win's a win. Nobody's easy this time of year. And Toronto, I don't think, can get any worse. Toronto can only get better from here. So for for me, here's the biggest thing right now. The Riders, Fajardo is getting the ball out quick. And... An extra second, an extra second and a half releasing the football, Ryan, is everything in today's CFL. Three games played, uh, two of them as a starter. One, the first game he came in, played He's for a while He's shown for the there. second most yards in two games in CFL history for a starter. Really? Behind only, uh, shoot, I forgot the name, but I saw the start today. Probably Matt Dunnigan, Matt considering Dunnigan. he threw for 735 in one game. Uh but I'm going to double check that because uh, I know Steve Daniel, the official statistician for the CFL, did have that number uh, out today. 
But uh, what? I'll, I'll, in the meantime, I'll read the rest of these stats sure. here. 60 of 82, 73.2 completion percentage, which is very good. 856 yards passing, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Also has 53 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. Quarterback rating for Cody Fajardo through three games, 122.8. I had no expect expectations for him. I had no expectations for this Riders offense coming into this year. Whether it was with Zach Caleros or not, I did not expect them to accomplish very much. And to his credit, Cody Fajardo has come out in two games, lightning speed. And am I correct in what I was what I heard yesterday that uh, he had almost 300 yards passing by halftime. Yeah. By the weather delay, he was at 290. Like there was conversation, uh, presumably, and you can probably back this up as you saw more of this than I did of him chasing that Dunnigan record of 735 yards in a game. I don't want to go that far, but I'll just say this. The weather delay slowed him down. Because I'll tell you what, whatever he was doing before the weather delay was not going to slow him down. It's a frightening scene when, and, and I mean this respectfully, not like I'm stared, stared at a dude, but it's it's frightening to another defense when a guy throws the ball with conviction and he knows where he's going to go, and he's got confidence. And I can't say the same thing about Zach Talaros, and I don't want to beat around the bush, and suggests that, you know, Talaros is done as a quarterback. But if Talaros walks on the field this week and starts practicing, he ain't starting, let me tell you that. And I I don't think he'll be starting for a while. Because I think now you're in a situation of the guy's thrown for a lot of yards in two games. The Ryder offense hasn't functioned at this high a level in almost two years, I think would be fair to say. Absolutely. Uh, last year and the year before was kind of eh for that offense. It's kind of Darian Durant-esque offense of numbers for a quarterback. Um, but that, that being said, too, I mean, it is two games, but I think now you've kind of put yourself in a situation of expectations are high for Fajardo, the Riders, for football in Saskatchewan in general. But I think even if he has a down game, which is going to happen. It might happen this week. Might. Based on what I saw yesterday, I don't think so. But Calgary's a different beast and everybody's a different beast. But what I'm trying to say is the hope just the leash got a whole heck of a lot longer than him supposedly struggling next week. And then being yanked because of it. I think he's got more of an allowance to have. You know, what's the average quarterback in the CFL, right? 250 yards, 275, and two touchdowns? Yeah. He, he's blown that out of the water through two games. So I think if he's done a game at 220 and he's done a Matt Nichols kind of game manager kind of performance and the writers find out, lose one of them down the stretch. He's not losing his job based on one horrible game is what I'm trying to say based on the way he's played the last two. And, and one would argue, too, you know, circumstances have arisen themselves where 
you know, the Riders were realistically in that opening game against Hamilton until they, you know, finally figured out what was going on at quarterback. But this is a Rider team that could be 2-1. and one. Uh, This West Division could be very different. And I think still it's going to be very interesting because, you know, there was a lot of saying, like, you know, what is the stats when defense? They were okay against Hamilton, and I'll use the word okay given the circumstances. Then they trapped the bed for a lot of better term last week. And so they kind of have to go out and prove themselves to show that, you know, this is kind of close to the level that they had last year. And it was. But now, you know, you have a a high-end quality game, a mediocre game, the middle one, and you know, a down performance, which was rather forgettable. So now the next two weeks, or specifically this week, my question for them is, where are you? You know, we've seen all three of them. Are you in a combination of the first two, the last two, the middle two? Like, where are you? And I, and I think they're somewhere close, somewhere between where they played in Hamilton and where they played... This week. And let's be frank. The reason the Riders defense or the offense, defense was as good as they were is that the offense was putting up points and keeping them on the sideline. So defenses are helpful when your quarterback has possession of, the, possession of the football on the offense. And hey, who knew? Forcing a few turnovers also helps your case. Right. So again, I, Riders are one and two. Now I need to see this process turn out week after week after week. Am I doubting for Hardo? Absolutely not. But build on it. You got something to work with. Right. We are going to take a quick one second timeout and be back with. Like you won't even realize we're gone. Bam. And just like that, we're back. Woo! It's the magic of production value. Like nothing ever happened, and there is part two right on the recorder, so... All right, before we get into talking about these next matchups, conveniently, actually, the matchup we're going to talk about as we get into our weekly pick'em, Mike, is the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Montreal Alouettes. But before we talk about the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Montreal Alouettes, we have to talk about the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Montreal Alouettes because they played each other in week three, they play each other again in week four, uh, we just talked about one blowout in Toronto, Saskatchewan, and we move into another one between Montreal and Hamilton. I I thought Montreal would be able to make this competitive. I thought there's no way Hamilton's going to repeat what they did with that 64-14 to win the week before against Toronto, but uh, this game started slow. There were no points scored in the first quarter. Then Hamilton put up 15 in the second, 11 in the third, and 15 in the fourth and routed thou at 41 to 10 uh are things in dire situations once again for the Alouettes? Wow. Um I- I'm shocked by where we are but yet I'm not surprised. And I would encourage somebody to check out our or check on our CF Pod Network buddy Cliffy over there from the Alouettes Fight Deck yeah. podcast. Yes, because of the I can't imagine he liking what he's seeing, but I also 
can't paint, but he isn't surprised by what he's seen. Um, h- how to be polite? Kahari Jones's reputation is being battered here. He's been a head coach in waiting for a long, long time. Fair? Yeah. He gets thrown into an impossible situation where he has to be named the coach the week before week number one. Also fair. He has a general manager, but really shouldn't be a general manager, but really is a general manager. I don't know. Also fair. So, there's plenty of blame to go around here. This isn't going to be fixed until you fix who's owning this team. The CFL does not want to touch this. They're the owners right now of the Montreal Alouettes. But they're not going to touch it because they're going to say, we're going to wait till our exclusive negotiating window with these new owners comes in. And then we will have them do the changes. It's only fair. But to me, there is no... And this is no disrespect to the Montreal Alouettes. But the man responsible for bringing in talent just hasn't done it. Tavis Reed goes from head coach to defensive coordinator to general manager. I'm sorry, but being a coach and being a general manager, that's like comparing apples to oranges. So are you saying Chris Jones is a very is a multitude combination of fruit? Well, I'll tell you what, if you want to put Chris Jones Chris Jones is different that way. Chris Jones is a fruit basket. Chris Jones? Chris Jones is Chris Jones. There's nobody like him. There's, and I don't know if that's where this came from. Like, we have a defensive coordinator, but the head coach, but is such a good talent evaluator. But maybe they tried to do the same with Tavis Reed. I don't know. But to me, like, this is a team that's reportedly lost 50, 50 million dollars. Since Anthony Telvio left, was once the pride and joy of the CFL with Anthony Telvio and multiple trips to the Great Cup. Just when I think that rock bottom couldn't get any lower, they surprised me. But here's the thing. They have a handful of guys. And this is the way I look at it. How many people, how many players on the Montreal Alouettes, and it's a low number, Ryan, would be starters anywhere else in the Canadian Football League? See, I disagree with you. I think they have a lot of players that would be starters. On but other but teams. here's the thing. There's the disconnect. There's the disconnect. There's something not right. When, when you get it handed to you every week, and maybe it's as simple as trying to find the quarterback. I... Well, just to talk about the other side of things here, I'll play the devil's advocate. And granted, the two teams that they've hammered in Steeltown the last two weeks, the Thai Cats, are a combined 0-4 on the season. But they have shellacked back-to-back opponents here. Like, they put up 64 points on the Argos. They put up, uh, what was it, 41 here on the Alouettes. Like, that's 105 points in two weeks for the Thai Cats. Sure, we can talk about how much of a disaster this is for Montreal, 
and I don't think Hamilton can feasibly keep up what they've kept up the entire way through. But maybe, you know, maybe we're being too hard on Montreal. Maybe it's just a matter of fact that the Ticats are that good. Is that a possibility you could consider? It's a possibility. But yet I don't see that this has been going on for so long in Montreal that face it, and then that's six weeks. The East Division might very well be decided as far as who's that home home playoff teams. And that's to their credit, though. As much as we want to knock on Montreal, as much as we want to hate on Toronto for how they've played through two weeks, because, frankly, both these teams have played atrocious. Montreal, not as as much. Montreal had some bright moments in this game. Mm -hmm. They had some bright moments, uh, especially in that game against Edmonton. They almost beat Edmonton in week number one. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom as much as you're talking about with Montreal. I think they just ran into a team that is a really good football team. You had them making it to the Cup this year. I had them making it to the Cup this year. We both had them finishing first place in the East Division. The Hamilton Tiger Cats are built as a good team, and they showed it again this week. But the thing to me, I didn't see a fight in them that suggested to me that you know they were going to make a game of it. But they, they still did. Like Defensively, you're looking at three interceptions you force on Jeremiah Mazzoli. You got to remember also Montreal is banged up on the defense. No Bullock combo, no Taylor Lawfor. Greg Reed comes in, gets two interceptions. Uh, like Montreal still had some decent moments in there. I chalk this game more so up actually to Hamilton being that dominant versus Montreal being that inept. I, I just thought the Tie Cats rolled on all cylinders. Uh, they really broke the game open. Like you have to remember here too. Montreal's still in this at halftime. 15-3 to at halftime. Uh, they are down at that point. What does Hamilton come out and do on their very first drive of the fourth quarter, of the third quarter? 75-yard touchdown pass to Sean Thomas Erlington from Jeremiah Mazzoli. Like, if that's not a backbreaker to start the second half, I don't know what is. And that's a credit to, Montre- to Hamilton, sorry, but- that Mazzoli, again this week, 417 yards, Sean Thomas Erlington has almost 150 yards through combined from the ground in the air. Like this is a guy that's the front runner right now, arguably for most outstanding Canadian in the CFL. Sean Thomas Erlington. Who would have said that before this season started? Certainly not I. I didn't even know how much playing time he was going to get. I thought Cam Marshall might get the starting job, and Hamilton has built themselves an offense between. Mazzoli, Banks, Braylon Addison, Sean Thomas Erlington. Like, those guys are running the show right now, and they don't even have Luke Tasker. It's just terrifying what Hamilton's record is going to be if, if the East Division stays as it is. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at, and I, I'm looking at the signings right now. We're looking at through, what is it now, three weeks? Montreal's third in the East, six points back at first. They're four back, three and oh, two and oh, and oh, and two. If this continues, I, I really, I really don't know what to say. Let's move into, uh, especially with being in such a difficult spot, with that West Division being so wide open. Are you looking at two teams potentially being eliminated by Labor Day? Potentially. I think it still balances out to some extent, and maybe it does this week. On that note, we get into our pick 'em 
four, week number four. Uh, last week in CFL Pick'em, Mike and I, we both went three and one. Uh, you did pick the BC Lions over Calgary, which, Mike, you almost had the upset. Not a lot of people should have picked, had the upset. Not a lot of people picked BC there, I don't think. And uh, you came very close to the perfect 4-0 week. Uh, I did have Calgary winning that one, but stupid Ryan picked Toronto again. And Twice. I still don't know why. Twice. Twice. 9-2 and two record on the season. The Argos are the death of me. You might need to file a complaint with the Ardles. I mean, it's my fault for picking them. The question remains, will I pick them for a bounce back? I mean, no, I guess the question doesn't remain because about 40 minutes ago I went and told you I was picking BC over Toronto already. But we do start in week four. Uh, I am 9-1 and one on the season. I believe you are 7-3. and three. Overall, not bad. Sorry, 9-2. and two, And you are 7-4. and four. Um, Hamilton and Montreal, the rematch from last week. In Montreal this time, does that change things for you at all? Who are you taking? Based on what I saw last week, I don't know if you can stop a finally or a machine, but it's working when you have a lot of more questions than answers. Again, I'm sorry to say this, Hamilton by 15 plus. My rules of CFL Pick'em are really being tested this season because traditionally I pick Calgary to win every week, but in week one I picked Ottawa and that worked out for me. Traditionally I pick the uh, team that lost the first of a home-and-home home series to bounce back and win, and you split the home-and-home. Home. By that convention it would say I would pick Montreal this week, but I'm playing it safe. I, I'm taking the Ticats here. To be fair... I could see a situation where Montreal somehow comes out and wins this after reviewing the footage from the week before. You know, there stuff hangs in the balance in the CFL, and it will balance out, and it could this week with this game here. But the Ticats are on such a roll, I, I, I have to take the Ticats even on the road here to pull out the win against Montreal and sweep the back-to-back. -back. Next game on the schedule has the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Ottawa to face the Red Blacks. I'll go first on this one here, Mike. I do think I, I have been high on what I've seen from Ottawa in these two games so far. I loved what I saw from Dom Davis last game against Saskatchewan. But I'm not 100% sold yet. And I wish I could be. But it's still early in the season. Just like I may not be 100% sold on Cody Fajardo and Saskatchewan. I like what I've seen from both these quarterbacks. But I also think... The Bombers escaped with a win last week in a game where they didn't deserve to win based on all the performance of half the team. Um, defense played strong, uh, shut down Trevor Harris, who was on fire the week before. I think they could shut down Dom Davis here. Um, offense is going to have a bounce back game. Uh, I will take the Bombers on the road to win a close game here. I agree with you. Um, you know, it's kind of like Edmonton, right? Well... They hadn't seen a team like Winnipeg. Ottawa hadn't seen a team like Winnipeg either. No disrespect to Saskatchewan. Granted, they beat Calgary. I mean, they beat Calgary, but they had the combat, right? Right. And one would suggest that they were lucky to win that game, too. Bombers won this one by more than a touchdown. And then we get into game number three. I already gave you my pick. It's the BC Lions. Granted, it's BC on the road in Toronto, and we know BC is generally not great on the road. 
I'm not picking Toronto for a third time in a row. I, I just can't do it. Um, that That's it for Toronto for me for now. I think they'll get better as the season goes along, but I really liked what I saw from BC, the improvement on offense last week, and this Argos defense is struggling. So I'll take BC even on the road. One player that will define my pick in this game. Mike Riley against anybody who plays quarterback for Toronto. They found a running game last week. Poor Toronto. They're going to take another one on the chin. It'll be closer. I don't think it'll be like the 64-14 game. I don't think it'll be like the game last week in Regina. Somewhere in the middle. But BC wins this one. Because if they don't, all kinds of questions will be asked. And that brings us into our final game of the week. We've agreed thus far through three games. We have Calgary in Saskatchewan to face the Riders. The floor is yours, Mike. Who are you taking? Well, I had concerns about Saskatchewan on a short week. Uh, quarterback Fitzstone for a lot of yards through his first two games. A receiving core that has renewed confidence. And a defense that might get uh, Solomon Aluminium back this week. And an offense that might get Emmanuel Arsenal back this week. And I asked the question, who's going to be playing defense for Calgary? Nobody seems to know that they have more than I doubt. And they signed Adu Tanay today for the bomber, from, from, from the Bombers and made a trade with the Bombers today. So Tanay was released by the Bombers, signed by... Abdul Tanay wasn't with the Bombers. Calgary. Conte. Oh, Abdul Conte. Conte. Okay, Conte. sorry. Sorry. Yeah, there we go. Tanay. Yeah. Conte. Uh, anyway, so Conte was released by the Bombers in camp, signed by the Stamps today, and uh, they picked the defensive lineman off the Bomber practice roster for a unnamed, nameless player that was a trade team down today, uh, or yesterday, sorry. Um, please, CFL, can we please uh, keep the anonymousness office practice roster, office nameless guy and I mean, come on, it's getting silly. Maybe it's you. For uh, all I know, it could be you. I have to call my agent after this, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so who are you taking, then? Uh, in a more serious note, I, in a close game, uh, less than a touchdown, more times than not outside with the home team, and because of the uncertainty for Calgary at quarterback, at least at this point I haven't seen anything, I'm going with Saskatchewan at home. They go to two and two before a bye week. Yeah, I I can't disagree with you. I hate to say it, we're going agreeing across the board here, which either means a good thing or a bad thing for both of us. Um, two times through three games, I for the second time in three games, I will actually pick against Stampeders here. I I, I just. I'm not sold on what I've seen from Calgary. Like, even though they won this game, they needed that late-game miracle to, you know, pull it off against BC, who had struggled through two weeks. And uh, they let BC's offensive line have a really good bounce-back game. Mike Riley, John White, everything got going on offense there uh, for BC. Saskatchewan's offense seems to be ticking a little more. I don't know. Maybe this just, just Calgary has lost so many pieces on defense from what they had the year before. Um, you mentioned the uncertainty with the injury to Bowie by Mitchell. I know they're a little more banged up also with guys like Juwan Breskison, a little nicked up there. 
I think it will be a close game too, and I could see Calgary winning. But I also can't see all four road teams winning in week number four. So I will take the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at home, just like you. To add some pins for Calgary here, uh, Ivan McLennan underwent surgery for torn knee ligaments. Don Johnson and Juwan Brustison are in concussion protocol. And Nick Arbuckle did all the QB work today with the first team offense, while Bowley by Metro had an MRI scheduled for early this evening. Doctor's office in Calgary is lining up out the door. And now, I would say Calgary's on a bit of an even playing surface with everybody else. But today, finally, they seem to have no change in the armor. And uh, now we'll see some depth moves for sure. Getting into CFL Fantasy Talk uh, as we round out the show here. Uh, last week in the CFPN Fantasy Challenge, I did pick up my second win of the season. A close match with Sheldon from Horseman Radio. Uh, I did put up a bit of a lead early on because I had a lot of players playing in the first couple of games. And boy, I was scoreboard watching during that Calgary-BC game and had a bit of a you know, sinking feeling in my stomach as I thought he was going to pull off the comeback, but he did get hampered by a couple of those injuries you mentioned. I do pull out the win there, improved to 2-1 and one on the season. Uh, with the overall points tiebreakers, I do sit sixth place overall in the standings. Uh, props to uh, my actual opponent from this for this upcoming week, uh, Andrew from the Eskimo Empire podcast, who is the only one undefeated at this point with a 3-0 and record. And that's so. why he can't pick Eskimos this week, so... Yeah, but when you pick Eskimos, it just I, I give up on picking Eskimos because it's always it's always the guy that you don't pick that ends up putting up the big points. Like week one, I take Greg Ellingson, it's Ricky Collins and Kenny Stafford. Week two, I take Kenny Stafford, it's uh, Greg Ellingson. Week three, back to Greg Ellingson, it's Kenny Stafford and Ricky Collins. So it's unpredictable in Edmonton. Just don't pick the same guys I do, and you're probably set. I'm in for a tough matchup this week with Andrew. I did put up. Uh, 93.1 points or something like that last week. Uh, looking to cross the 100 mark, and I'm going to need it. But I am telling you folks right here, my mission this week is one thing and one thing only, and it's to take down the Eskimo Empire. Uh-oh. Go Team Ryan, or go Team Canadian Football Countdown. Absolutely. We'll see if I can take Andrew down. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough matchup. But There'll I... be a contract extension, and your future will be on the line if you lose. I thought we just said earlier in the show that this show was not affected by anything. <laughs> Binge change, right? <laughs> what? It's now all of a sudden, oh boy. I'm kidding. The pressure, the pressure. Andrew, throw this one for me, please. No, no. I will beat him fair and square this week. Uh, looking at the uh, my fantasy results from the week before, again, I mentioned 93 points or something like that. Vernon Adams had 13. I had Andrew Harris had a bit of a quiet day, but 13.7. Sean Thomas Erlington, 27.9. Greg Ellingson, 14.3. Chris Matthews had a quiet day, 3.6 only. Uh, Braylon Addison, huge game at 22.1. And, well, the Argos defense was the cheapest defense available, and they got me negative one points. So $3,200 for negative one points. Not bad, not bad. Uh, Looking into our fantasy challenge, Mike, uh, our season-long format, Uh, things have changed this week uh, as I did pick up a very solid week here. Uh, You have the injuries piling up. My goodness, 
uh, in week three, a total of 120.08 points for yourself. Uh, looking at some of your top performers in week number three, uh, Bo Levi Mitchell, before he did go out of the game, Trevor Harris at 15.3, uh, Ricky Collins, your pickup after week one, 10.7, and uh, just rounding that out here as your top performers, Brian Burnham of the BC Lions. And for myself, 193.1 points. I do gain 70 on you or so there this week. Huge games. Jeremiah Mazzoli, Mike Riley, Brandon Banks, uh, Sean Thomas Erlington, and uh, even a pretty solid game from Hinoch Muamba, who had that big goal line stand, a couple big plays there for the Alouettes. So overall scores here. Mike has you at 304.74. Or sorry, nope. Correction, 424.82, that was before this week's points, 424.82 points, and myself in the lead now, 454.34. So I pass, I, I get ahead this week, but we do have the opportunity to make a couple roster moves here, which I think we're letting loose a little bit this week. We're allowed two roster moves each a week. You are behind, so you get to make yours first. Are you making some trades? Yes, I am. I am removing Chris Traveler from my roster. He was my third quarterback. I am adding from the Saskatchewan Roughriders Cody Fajardo. I am also dropping from a Montreal OS Eugene Lewis. And adding Saskatchewan Roughriders wide receiver Tyron Moore. You take Eugene Lewis from me in the draft because you know how much I hate that, and then you just drop him after two weeks. I expected better from Mr. Lewis. I expect him to watch him have a huge game this week, just like Nick Dembski did after you dropped him. Uh, don't remind me. <laughs> uh, so those two trades for you, you really like that way that Saskatchewan offense is picking up there, eh? I do, and uh, you know what? I needed a option... Uh... With the help, uncertainty of Bowley by Mitchell, my other quarterback, Trevor Harris, on by. I could be stuck with no quarterback, so I may as well. I thought I had to go out and get one. Well, I would have had one for sure, but there's no guarantee that uh, Chris Traveler would have played a whole heck of a lot uh, based on last week for this coming up week. So just a little bit of protection there and some added insurance at the wide receiver spot. I know I'm leaving some other... I uh, died with injuries uh, substantially. Uh, most most often, uh, bowl a combo, although he's expected back this week. I will still, however, have to address the injuries to uh, Brady Olivera and Taylor Loeffler at some point. Uh, but we'll see how that uh, shapes out. Yeah, myself, I do still have a couple injuries on my roster that I will take care of this week as well. Javon Santos Knox on the six-game injured list. Uh, he's not going to be playing uh, in the next couple of weeks, so I will make a swap there. And uh, like you, I'm going to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and I'm going with uh, Derek Moncrief. Uh, 18 tackles, two sacks, and a pick uh, through three games so far. You can't ask for much more production from a defensive player there. He's a guy that's all over the field. Uh, making big plays and uh, you know and steady production throughout. He's had a very, uh, he's averaging six tackles a game. If I can have a guy put up a floor of six points a game for me and add a couple more along the way uh, with some sacks and turnovers, I will gladly take that. And then I will use a second trade this week as well to trade away one of my injured wide receivers 
I did pick Kamar Jordan a little early in the draft. Uh, I thought he would be back a little sooner, but uh, he is also on the sixth game, so I may revisit adding him back in a couple weeks. Um, but in the meantime, I will trade him for Lamar Durant of the BC Lions. Uh, this is a guy that, uh, frankly, you know, has been steady through three weeks. He has a touchdown catch in each of the three games, and BC's offense is only getting going now. He seems to be one of Mike Riley's favorite targets when they get to the red zone. And uh, great to see him breaking out uh, from his time in Calgary where he was kind of a secondary option there. To Now he's one of the main options for Mike Riley, and uh, he is having himself a fine start to the season. So I will take Lamar Durant in place of the injured Kamar Jordan. Mike, do you have any other quick final thoughts before we wrap these things up? Uh, how about Gainer? Not fantasy related, but I, I, I said this earlier. You know, you don't have any problems in your, when you're with your team when the biggest problem from your home opener isn't even the weather delay, but it is your mascot. What happened? I missed this. What, what, what's all the buzz with Gainer? The, the well, he was a little bit bigger, shall we say, in stature and in build. So apparently, and I have yet to put the two pictures side by side. But apparently this new and improved Gainer has lost some baggage and and apparently has looked more fright frightening <laughs> in the process. So fans aren't exactly happy with that. Yeah, that was a sight to see. And I'm looking forward to all the memes being made from that uh, from here on forward. We'll leave it at that here for today. We are out of time. We did go half an hour overtime. Uh, lots to talk about. Uh, thanks again to Janine from Mushwara Red Blacks podcast for joining us to talk Bombers and Red Blacks this week. Uh, make sure you check out their podcast as it comes out this week as well uh, and listen to all of that and follow them on Twitter as well, the Mushwara podcast. Uh, I'm just double-checking on the name here, but I believe it is Mushwara Pod. Um Check us out on Twitter as well, CFC on Mike FM, uh, and make sure you check out all the other uh, members of the Canadian Football Podcast Network at CF Pod Network on Twitter and cfpodnetwork.ca uh, at Mushwar Podcast for the podcast. One final thing here, real fast: the home team is eight and three so far in eleven games in the CFL. We'll see if that continues. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening and have a great day. Bye. <laughs>